But we're going to come around to the Word of God in a minute. If you've got a Bible with you, if you want to turn with me to the book of Genesis, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 35 today, and we're going to be beginning at verse 1. Genesis 35, beginning at verse 1. This is what it says. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourself, change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in my distress and who has been with me wherever I go. So then, Jacob, Jacob, all the foreign gods they had, and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak of Shechem. Then they set out, And the terror of God fell on all the towns around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people went with him to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar and he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you and praise you for your words. We thank you, Lord God, that as we read your word, it speaks to us. We thank you that your word is living. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray, Father God, that as we open up this passage together today in Genesis chapter 35, that most of all, we'll hear your voice. However many times we've read this passage before, Lord, may we receive some fresh manner from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we start a new term together and life begins to get back, I guess, to some sort of normality after our summer breaks and being away and doing all the things that summer brings, we're starting a new sermon series together here at the church. It's a sermon series which I have entitled The Comeback. Everyone loves a comeback story, don't they? One of my favourite film series of all time is the Rocky film series. Now, if you've seen Rocky before, if you haven't, Rocky is a boxer. There's about six different films, and in every film, the plotline is pretty much exactly the same. Rocky's a boxer, and he's got to fight someone who is significantly better than him. And at the end of each film, there's a fight. And for 11 rounds of the fight, Rocky gets absolutely battered. But it's in that final round of the fight, every single time, he suddenly picks himself up off the canvas and figures out a way to win the fight. We love stories like that, don't we? Because we love a comeback. We love to see the underdog prevail against all the odds when defeat is staring them totally and utterly in the face. I don't know how this year and a half, this past year and a half has felt like for you, but I expect if you're anything like me, you've experienced a whole different range of emotions over this time, and you have battled to make sense of what has gone on. Perhaps at times you have felt incredibly and utterly defeated. I want to tell you today 
that the God that we worship is the God of the comeback. And over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to look at a series of Bible characters today where in so many ways it appeared that their situation was one of defeat. Defeat was staring them in the face, only for God to turn up. The God of the comeback to change their situation and their circumstances around and use it for their good and for his glory. And my hope is that as we emerge from this season, the one that we've been in for what seems like an absolute age, where at times it has felt like defeat, that we're going to see God turn it around like never before. This will be an exciting season for the church. I'm absolutely sure of that. This will be a season for us as a church of hope and healing. This will be a season of rebuilding, of remolding, of reshaping. This will be a season where we begin to catch a glimpse of what God has been doing all along. Even when we haven't been able to see it or fathom it up until this point. And with that in mind, I want to begin today, as we kick off this series, looking at an incredibly complex character in Scripture. A man who went by the name of Jacob. Jacob is a complicated character, but he's not the only complicated character that we find in Scripture. Not by any stretch of the imagination. If we wanted to talk about complicated characters today, we could talk about Noah, who was a drunk. We could talk about Gideon, who was afraid. We could talk about David, who had an affair. We could talk about Rahab, who was a prostitute, or Elijah, who was suicidal. The Bible is full of complicated characters who messed up on numerous occasions. And you know what? I am so glad that it does, because it shows me that despite my flaws, despite my hang-ups, despite my ability to constantly get things wrong and mess up I'm still part of God's purposes don't ever go to a church which tells you that only perfect people can be part of the purposes and the plans of God what we see in the life of Jacob is that he had a habit of getting himself into trouble when he was in his mother's womb he was wrestling with his twin brother when he came out of his mother's womb and he grew up a little bit he conned his brother out of his birthright for a bowl of soup Going on a little bit further, he deceived his own father into giving him a blessing which should have gone to his brother. As a result, he needed to run to escape with his life from his brother's rage. He is a complicated, complicated character. And as we open up Genesis chapter 35 together today, we pick up events in the life of Jacob where once again he finds himself in trouble. Some traumatic events in his family happened in Genesis chapter 34, and that caused some of his family to have a violent reaction. And as a result, there was a real threat of retaliation against Jacob and against his family. And Jacob is told, once again, go to Bethel. And we see in verse 6 that Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, with his family. It was called Luz the first time that he visited this place, back in Genesis chapter 28. That time, he was on the run. And he stops off in this place for a rest, for a sleep, to recuperate. And God meets him in a very, very powerful way. And when he opens his eyes from his sleep on that occasion, he based his decision to change the name of that place on his experiences with this awesome God. What we're going to be speaking about today I hope is going to speak and encourage everyone who is in this room right now. But in particular, what we're going to be talking about today is going to have a particular impact on those who may be feeling their life is going through a time of transition, 
or a time of trouble. Because both times Jacob visited this place here at Bethel, that's the situation and the predicaments that he was in. He was in a time of transition and a time of trouble. The first time, it was a time of transition. He was going from his family home where he had lived to a place where he did not know to an uncle that he had never met before. The future was looking somewhat uncertain for him at this point. You may be in a situation right now of transition in your life or trouble in your life or in your spirit. For you, the future may seem somewhat uncertain today. And we've probably all found ourselves, haven't we, in that place over these last 18 months to one degree or another. And maybe, if you're being honest right now, it all feels like a little bit too much. What our account in scripture today shows us that even when life feels rocky, even in the midst of uncertainty and tribulation, when it all feels like it's too much and the cry of our hearts is it was not supposed to turn out like this, God can and he does show up right in the middle of nowhere. That's exactly where Jacob has this encounter with God. He's running for his life. He's far from safety and security of everything that he knew. You know, God will often do the greatest things in your life in a period of trouble and a period of transition. To Jacob, Bethel, particularly the first time that he goes there, was simply just a rest stop. He didn't expect to meet God there. And after the first time he goes there, he goes to his uncle Laban's house and he meets the love of his life when he's there. And he agrees to work for seven whole years to marry her, only to be tricked by his uncle into marrying her older and in his view, the less attractive sister. So he ends up working another seven years to marry Rachel, the love of his life too. And it's with these two women that Jacob has 12 sons, which eventually give birth to the 12 tribes of Israel. Circumstances meant that eventually he would have to run from Laban as well. And 20 years after that first encounter with God at Bethel, he is told, go back, go back to Bethel. Jacob had to go back to, in many respects, the place where it all began. After all of those years, he needed to once again be reminded that God had started a purpose in his life and he would be faithful to finish it. It's very easy for us to get dissatisfied at times in our life when we just can't understand what God is doing. It's very easy, isn't it, for us to get disillusioned with what's happening in the here and now, in this moment, because it's not really how we envisage things turning out. It's very easy for us to lose sight of the goal and to lose sight of what God is actually doing and to totally and utterly miss it as a result of what we are facing right now. And when we find ourselves in a time of transitional trouble, When we find ourselves disillusioned by life and the circumstances that we face, the call for each and every one of us is the same as the call that was given to Jacob. Go back to Bethel. Remember where God spoke to you. Life had changed dramatically for Jacob between the first time he went to Bethel and the second time. In chapter 32, Jacob remembers that when he first went there and then onto his uncle Laban's house, All that he had in his hands was a staff. We read this in 32 verse 10. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that you have shown your servant. I had only a staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I have become two camps. 
The first time he goes to Bethel, he is alone. All he has in his hand is a stick. He has nothing but a stick in his hand. The second time, he's grown into two camps. He's multiplied. He has family. He has livestock. So much so that he could never possibly have imagined it. And Jacob needed to go back to Bethel because he needed to look back. Bethel was the place for Jacob where God showed up in the middle of nowhere. Let's look at that original account in Genesis chapter 28, beginning at verse 10 for a moment. We read these words. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped off for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head, lay down to sleep. He had a dream where he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Then above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like dust in the earth and you will be spread out from the west to the east to the north to the south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done all that I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. So Jacob had set out from everything which was comfortable, his home, his family, his friends, to a land where he had never been and to an uncle that he had never met and knew nothing about. And as he set out, he sees God like never before. You know, God will often show up in your transitional moments, the I'm unsure moments, the how did I get here moments. God knows how to meet you in the middle of your nowhere. Where you don't know what's going on, God can meet you. Notice in verse 11, notice that it says that when he reached a certain place, It doesn't even tell us the name of the place at first. Jacob had simply stopped off in this place for a sleep. It was the middle of nowhere. And God gives him one of the most amazingly profound visions in the entire Bible. And Jacob wakes up and he says, surely the Lord was in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. And 20 years later, he goes back to Bethel. And that's the challenge for us today whether you're in a time of transition or trouble, whether you're just plodding along or you're walking closely with God, the call is simple. Go back to Bethel. Three things that Bethel represents here for us today. Number one, Bethel represents remembrance. One of the most common commandments in the entire Bible is the command to remember. Right throughout the Old Testament, God sets up a number of feast days and a number of remembrance days because one of the problems of the human heart is our hearts are so forgetful. We've spoken about this before, but there are times in our life, and I'm sure you can testify to this to yourself, where at times you have felt so close to God, you've seen God move. And then maybe the very next day, you're like, is God even there? Have I got it all wrong? 
Does he even exist? We see God move in power and then we forget the Lord's goodness. Elijah is a perfect example of this. We're going to talk about Elijah together in a couple of weeks' time. But in the Bible, in one page, we'll see Elijah calling down fire from heaven to consume an altar. And then on the next page, we'll see him running for his life, cowering in a cage and saying, God, am I the only one left? The Bible tells us to remember. Jacob here was in a position of transition and trouble. So God brings him back to the place where it all began to remind him once again of how faithful he is. And you know, the Bible says to us very clearly in Philippians chapter one, that he who has started a good work in you promises to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If you are here today and you're a Christian, if you're watching online right now and you're a Christian, you can be sure that Christ has started a good work in you. It's a process of nurturing, of refining, of molding into the person who you really are and God calls you to be. But sometimes in the midst of that process, it feels uncomfortable and we fail to see what God is doing and we wonder what on earth is going on and the call is the same as the call to Jacob. Go back to Bethel. Look back. Remember where it all began. See how faithful that I have been to you across your life and remember I have started a good work in you and I promise I will complete it. Psalm 103 tells us not to forget the Lord's benefits. And it's in that process of looking back, we're reminded of who God is, and as a result, we're able to push forward. And you here today may not be where you expected to be in life right now. Things may have not panned out as you intended they would. Maybe you feel like you're not really sure where God is right now. The call for you today is to look back, to remember where you first met Jesus. Remember how he changed and he affected your life. Remember that feeling when you first said yes to following him. The key to understanding who we are in Christ is to constantly remember what he has done for us. That's why we sing about it so much. That's why we talk about the cross so much. Because the moment we forget, the moment we forget whom we are, we forget to whom we belong. And it all begins to fall apart. There's a church in the Bible called the church in Ephesus. You can read about them in the book of Revelation. And on the outside, this church looked like they had it all together. They were doing all the right things. They were running coffee mornings and toddler groups. They were doing what a church should do. But Jesus says to them, listen, you look like a church. You sound like a church. You smell like a church. But I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. You see, on the outside, they looked like they had it all together. But actually, they missed the point. And what was Jesus' remedy to this church? Remember. Remember. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Turn, repent, do what you used to do. Fall in love with me again. Remember your first love. The moment Jacob goes back to Bethel, he's reminded of the deepest encounter that he had with the living God. If you're here today and you're at a time of transition or trouble, the call is simple. Go back to Bethel. Go back, remember who you are and to whom you belong. Remember that moment once again where you invited King Jesus into your life, where you heard him whisper to you, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not for evil, to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope.
looking back allows us to remember and see just how faithful Jesus has been. Sometimes you need to go back in order to go forward. Go back to Bethel. Remember how God has met you in the past, in the middle of your nowhere. Maybe after 18 months of online church, after months that at times, let's be honest, have felt incredibly tense, you've become disillusioned, disenfranchised, and you don't really know how to move forward. Go back to Bethel. So coming back to Genesis chapter 35, when Jacob first went to Bethel, he was running. He was running from his brother. This time, 20 years later, when he goes back to Bethel this time, he's limping. Because of the experiences that he's had in his life, he is limping. Bethel, number one, is a place of remembrance. Number two, Bethel is a place of revelation. Look at verse three. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make an altar to God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. In Genesis 28, Jacob says, surely the Lord was in this place and I didn't even know it. But this time, when he goes back to Bethel, he now realizes that God just wasn't with me in this place. He was with me in this place and this place and this place and this place. In fact, he has always been with me. He has never left me. Everywhere I have gone, he has been with me. You know, the presence of God is not a place, it's a person. Because Jesus died and he rose again, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. He is with us wherever we go. That's why the Bible describes him as Emmanuel, God with us. When it feels like you are in the middle of nowhere, when you're in a time of trouble or transition, if you are a Christian, your nowheres become now his. God is right there with you. He's been there all along. You just haven't realized it. That's the promise. That's the promise and the hope that we have in Jesus. It's not always going to be easy. As a Christian, there will still be those why questions. Why has this happened? How has this happened? God, where are you in the midst of it? But those who follow Christ have that promise that they're never walking this path alone. Even in the tough times, God knows what he is doing. Many of you have heard my testimony, if you're in this room, or at least parts of my testimony. And in many respects, my testimony is never going to be a best-selling book. I've never murdered anyone. I've never taken drugs. I've never done, really stolen anything in my life. I'm not going to sell lots of books about how I came to know Christ. But what I do notice is when I do look back, it's in looking back and seeing how God has led me through every decision, through every encounter, through every moment. I can look back and see just how God has led me to the point where I am and the point where I said yes to Jesus for myself. And looking back, remembering reveals to us once again and gives us that ability to move forward. It reminds us we are a child of God. We're not alone. Even when it feels like everyone else has abandoned us, even when it feels like we're the only ones left, we are never, ever alone. We can face tomorrow because of Jesus. He is with us. Bethel is a place of remembrance. It's also a place of revelation. And thirdly and finally, Bethel is a place of response. 
The first time Jacob goes to Bethel in Genesis 28, he makes a conditional promise to God. He says, God, if you do certain things for me, I will serve you. This is what he says. If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, will, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. But now, here in Genesis 35 and verse 3, we read these words, Then let us go up to Bethel, so that I may make an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. Jacob, 20 years after his first encounter with God, returns to the place with a limp that it all began. And he builds an altar. No longer is he negotiating his relationship with God. No longer is he saying, God, if you do this, 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 and this for me, then I'll serve you. Now he is willingly building an altar to God. If you're in a time of trouble or transition in your life, if you're going for a time where you're not really sure where God is, If for whatever reason your heart feels like it has grown cold, the call today is go back to Bethel. Because Bethel is a place of remembrance. God helped me in the past and he'll help me again. Bethel is a place of revelation. God has been with me every step of the way, wherever I've gone, wherever I've been. Even when I haven't realized it, God has been there. Because I am his child and nothing which life can throw at me can ever change that. I've been given an identity, I've been given an inheritance, I've been given an eternal value. Bethel is then also a place of response. It helps us to see that what we really need in life is not the trappings of everything that we thought we had. What we really need in life is the presence of God. And the call today in response is to do what Jacob did. Not to make conditional promises to God. If you do this, this, and this, and this for me, I'll follow you. But it's to lay down our lives as living sacrifices. Not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but say, God, here I am. Whatever life brings, whatever life throws, here I am. I'm your child. And I trust in your will and your ways. I wonder where Bethel is for you. Those times where God has significantly spoken to you in your life. Maybe right now you feel a million miles away from him. The call is to go back, to seek him once again, and allow that still, small voice to whisper to you, the God of the comeback will turn it around. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. If you're in the room, I want to encourage you to stand if you're able. And let's just take a moment in the silence. Wherever you are, wherever you're at, 
in your journey of faith, in your Christian walk, let's just take a moment to remember. Maybe right now, think back to that moment where you first met King Jesus. Where you first bowed the knee and said, I want to follow you. Life may have been difficult in these last 12 and 18 months. Maybe you found yourself disconnected with his church and maybe even disconnected with him. Today the call is to go back. Remember, reflect, respond to his call once again.